You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jet Nation Radio. This is your solo host, Alex Morallo. I believe I will be joined uh, not too shortly, uh, possibly by Glenn. Um, Dylan will not be able to join us this week. He's a working man. You know, that happens sometimes when you're all across the world and, you know, things don't align up in the stars. But as they say in the biz, the show must go on. So uh, another week, uh, getting a little bit closer to some off-season related topics, um, you know, in this time of the year, um, a lot of rumors, a lot of speculation. There's just a lot of things, um, you know, that are being uh, leaked from certain sources all across the uh, NFL world, and you know, it's hard to tell um, what is, you know, what you can believe and what you can't believe. Um, but you know, tonight is going to be a little bit of a shorter show. Um, the focus is going to be on what are the top five biggest positional needs for the New York Jets. That's something that I would like to talk about, and I'm going to go into it uh, quite briefly. Um, you know, this was something I wanted to do with the guys, but, um, you know, at least you guys will be able to hear my perspective, and then this will give the opportunity for Dylan and um, Glenn to give theirs, um, you know, when we uh, link back up. So, um you know, before I get into my top five here and um, we get a little too far ahead of ourselves, I'd like to go ahead and give uh, a little bit of light to our sponsor, Miles Social. Um, so if you're a, you know, small business, big business, whatever the case may be, and, and you're having a hard time getting your company um, expanded out in the social media platform, um, look no further than Miles Social. Uh, they are here to help you do your web design, and they can manage that for you. They can increase your search engine optimization and um, increase your marketing ability from a social media aspect as well. So if you need to get any help in that department, go to M-I-L-E-S-O-C-I-A-L.com. That is milesocial.com. Okay, so a couple of rumors that seem to still be circulating here, obviously, um, Deshaun Watson is a big topic of conversation. Um, a lot of things just going around here about how upset he is in Houston. Um, but clearly when a player like that addresses, you know, concerns and they want out of that team, um, you know, you're going to end up being one of uh, the top guys uh, that are being conversation, I'm sure, when teams are looking to improve the quarterback position. And with as much turnover in the NFL, who's not looking to make, um, you know, a better play or have a better player at that position. Uh, so right now, there's really not too much to talk about other than the fact that it's a rumor. But uh, it's still intriguing. And, um, you know, I, would I like to have an all-pro quarterback on this team? Absolutely. Um, would it is the best idea to have it, you know, come through the draft and groom him and have him on a rookie deal? I think that's quite obvious. But... Uh, to get a player like that, 
um, take on a 30 to $35 million contract. Um, the Jets clearly do have jet uh, draft capital. Um, that's one thing that the Jets do have to their advantage. Unfortunately, um, that might put them into a chokehold as far as being able to build through the draft for the next few years. But um, the quarterback is one of the most important positions um, on the roster, and clearly uh, you can't just uh, get away with an average to below average quarterback, um, as we've seen from previous years. So we'll leave those rumors where they belong, out on the tabloids and, and on the, uh, the Twitter lines. Um, clearly, if anything comes to surface on a situation like that, uh, you know, we will definitely – uh, try to get a squeeze in a show as quickly as we can, obviously. So uh, just to get into it real, real quick, um, you know, this is uh, the, the Senior Bowl week um, to talk a little bit about the offseason. Um, so there's going to be, I'm sure, some videos and a lot of um, highlights and, you know, players. This is a good week for, for these prospects uh, to make a name for themselves and put themselves you know, you know, or improve their draft stock. Um, you know, they get to work with NFL coaches and go through um, kind of like a practice that's at a higher competitive level. And, you know, this helps um, scouts and other people like that get their hands and eyes on the players that or the seniors rather that they're looking to possibly draft come April. Um, so that's, that's exciting. I'll have my eyes and ears on that. I'm sure, you know, we'll, uh, do some sort of, you know, coverage, whether it be, you know, jetnation.com. And speaking of jetnation.com, if you aren't um, signed up to that or if you're not aware, um, Jet Nation Radio has their own website. It's um, one of the biggest NFL forums in the NFL as far as the uh, fans are concerned. Um, nonstop talk about the Jets and, and other, you know, sports-related things. Um, you know, that basically 24-7 over there. Um, you know, no membership fees, anything like that. Just go on, sign up, download the app, and enjoy JetNation.com. So um, one of the things that uh, I wanted to go over tonight is the top five positional needs for the New York Jets. And there's a lot of glaring holes on this team, but I've narrowed it down to the edge position. I'm going to say the secondary because that is, you know, uh, you know, corners, cornerbacks a big one, but we also have some some holes in safety, some, um, some, you know, some questions um, that we have in that department on who's going to be the tandem for for next year. I have wide receiver, running back, and offensive line all in there now. Now, clearly, here's the the, the situation: um, we have a quarterback, and you know, right now. Is, is a possibility to be a top, maybe number one need. Um, but as of right now, I'm assuming on January 26th that Sam Darnold is our quarterback and, and we're going to be going forward with him um, until, you know, the 2021 season officially opens and trades can be talked about and we start acquiring free agents. We really, really don't know. Um, what the future holds for us at quarterback. But as of today, we're going to assume that Sam Darnold's our guy and that we're moving forward with him um, as a possibility. So I I put number one is our edge position. Um, Our number two would be 
uh, combo here with cornerback and safety. Um, number three for me is uh, wide receiver. Number four would be running back, and number five would be the offensive line. Um, now, it might seem a little alarming that I have uh, two defensive positions ahead of offense, being that we were the 32nd-ranked offense last year. Um, but if we, if you go back and you review the film and, and you look at a lot of the struggles that this team had last year, we were not effective into getting into quarterback from the outside position. Yes, we were effective interior-wise with Polo Lorenzo Fadakasi and Quinn, excuse me, Quinn, Quinn and Williams, but we definitely lacked uh, a motor, a guy, somebody that on, on passing situations, third down situations can go out there and um, just pin their ears back and put pressure on the quarterback and dismantle a play and get the, uh, the defense off the field and get the offense back on. So we really don't have a go-to guy there. We haven't had a go-to guy there in years. Um, something that we repetitively talk about on this show. Um, and I'm hoping that Joe Douglas finally changes that. I'm hoping that we finally get to a point in which these giant gaping holes on this, this roster are filled. And not just with, you know, bodies, not with a UDFA. I'm talking about a premium pick in the draft or a premium free agent for quality money. Um, I know a lot of people will say you can't, you know, buy your way into success with football. Um, Maybe you're not spending your money right is how I would counter back with something like that. So the Jets really, really need to figure this out. Um, They had a lot of players that were on one-year deals, players that um, contracts are expiring at the end of this year and will be free agent next year. Um, Mainly, you know, Terrell Basham, uh, Jordan Jenkins, uh, we cannot assume that they'll they'll be back. I'm sure I'm sure they're going to try to play the market. Clearly, if they come back on um, household deals, that would be great for the salary cap. Um, but kind of knowing what to expect from those individuals, um, we would be silly to say that we can't use improvement um, in those areas. Um, Basham and Jordan Jenkins are great players, but in this league, if you want to compete and be playing football in in late January, um, you're going to need guys that get double-digit sacks um, coming off the corner. Um, and once you find those guys, a lot of things are easier for other aspects of the defense. You don't need a Darrell Revis if you have a mile, uh, you know, a Miles Garrett for say coming off. You don't need a Jalen Ramsey or a Harrison Smith playing safety uh, when you have your trenches stacked with guys that just put pressure on the quarterback, dismantle run plays, and just constantly keep, um, you know, the quarterback eating dirt. Um, As long as you have players that can do that, you know, you can mask a lot of the other deficiencies on defense. And where our youngest players are, um, currently where I see them, defensive line, um, we have some young linebackers, you know, Kyle Phillips, um, Tabari Zuniga, um, you know, Blake Cashman, you know, Lord knows if he'll stay healthy. Um, we have mostly coming back. So we have bodies at the linebacker position that we can interchange and work with, but nobody really that jumps off the page here at the edge position. So I really feel that that's got to be one of the number one priorities going into the offseason. 
Uh, and as long as the Jets can get somebody, uh, they can do all the things that I said. I think that that will be, um, we'll see night and day um, compared to what we saw last year uh, with this defense that struggled mightily. Uh, and now that moves me to the secondary. Right now, uh, the Jets have a lot of youth and potential, but sometimes that does not equate to quality football. We have players like Bless Austin. We have players like Bryce Hall, who I, I definitely think that he has the most potential out of everybody in that cornerback room. Uh, we have Jalen Guidry, who was, I believe, a UDFA rookie. Um, a lot of young talent on the outside. And sometimes what you need is you need experience, but you also need the right guy. We found an experienced guy in Pierre Desir last year. Clearly, we all know that that didn't work out. So possibly with going out and being um, cheap about the situation, um, uh, you know, clearly just isn't, um, you know, what I looks like I'm getting a message from Glenn. Looks like he might be joining me. Um, so, you know, clearly we didn't expect that um, to happen um, with this year. He got cut. Um, and uh, it didn't work out. So it's not about getting an experienced guy for the cheap. Um, if you're going to get somebody experienced, let's make sure that they have the ability to shut down a number one corner. Um, so at this point, um, we've got a lot of young guys out there, and we really don't know what they're going to do. Um, we hope and we pray that they're going to end up being the guys, but you can't go into battle. Um, with a bunch of inexperienced guys and not having ample depth because this is a, a really, really grueling sport and lineups change from week to week. And if you don't have the depth and the talent um, to continue to, you know, compete at, at an elite level, um, you're going to find yourself with a lot of uh, losses. Uh, so corner to me is an important position. Um, if the Jets, you know, tend to prioritize that with a premium pick in the draft, I think that would be a good idea. Uh, but, you know, you're also putting a lot of, you know, putting your eggs into one basket, hoping that the young player ends up, you know, reaching his max potential within year one, year two. And sometimes players struggle with that when they go from, you know, the collegiate level to the, to the pros. So I think that, you know, number one, obviously, is edge. That should be a big signing in the free agency. And I think our second big signing that should absolutely be at the cornerback uh, position in the free agency. Now, part of this number two situation here, um, Marcus May comes into the fold. I think the Jets really need – that's why I put the secondary rather than saying corner or safety because, I, you know, they all are a unit as far as I'm concerned. And I absolutely think the Jets need to prioritize Marcus May um, into their offseason plans. Um, you know, he's, he's been a rock-solid player for us, a guy that just doesn't talk a lot, keeps his head down and works. He had a phenomenal year last year. Uh, a very good year the year before that. Um, he, in my mind, he's a Pro Bowl caliber guy. He just maybe doesn't have the uh, the fandom that, you know, some other guys in the league have that, you, you know, you probably play on Madden. Um, but Marcus May is a, blue, is a blue-collar kind of guy. Um, you know, he comes in, does his job. You don't really hear a lot of drama from him like we did from former safety uh, Jamal Adams. Uh, but, uh, you know, he is going to – probably test free agency this year. And I'm hoping that the Jets don't, you know, do what they did with uh, Robbie Anderson 
and, and let him walk. Um, because clearly we, we have no idea, um, you know, what kind of money Marcus May is due. Um, you know, safeties get all sorts of crazy money in this league. Um, rumors, you know, to Jamal Adams getting $20 million. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, just to add to that, it, one of his last press conferences, he talked about getting shoulder surgery and possibly surgery on his hand. I don't know any team that's going to spend $20 million on a safety who had a down year, uh, coverage-wise, that is, even though he broke the sack record. Um, and he might have a, you know, might be a liability with his shoulder and his hands. So, um, you know, you can hope and wish for that as a player, but reality sets in and you got to take the best offer that's dealt to you. You know, I feel that Marcus May is worth $10 million a year, if not more. Um, forgive me, it looks like my dog <laughs> is barking in the background here. Hopefully it's not too loud. Um, so um, going down to list number three, um, Glenn is messaging me now. Maybe he'll be joining us. Okay, so number three, I had wide receiver. Um, kind of seems odd that I would have wide receiver running back ahead of offensive line. Um, and the main reason being is that I like three out of the five pieces that we have in offensive line. I'm not going to jump right now to that, um, but that's the reason why I have them on the as number five on my list. Um, Denzel Mims is a great um, – he was a little injured last year. It looks like um, – you know, injuries kind of kept him on and off the field for majority of the year. So, you know, developing a rapport with Darnold and getting implemented the system. And, you know, he, he clearly wasn't hundred percent healthy when he came back and it looks like he had multiple hamstring issues. So, you know, Denzel did what he could when he was out there. Um, unfortunately he ended the season with a concussion um, and he had, to, he went into the locker room in the first half, never came back. And I was kind of hoping that would be the day he would score a touchdown and end on a good note. But, um, you know, I kind of feel that Denzel um, and Crowder are the only two viable weapons we have as receivers. Um, and we need more than that. If it's going to be, you know, a potential, you know, trade quarterback, if we're going to be looking at a potential, you know, rookie quarterback, or if we're going to be looking at Sam Darnold, I feel that, you know, he's going to need, um, you know, better, better options out there. Uh, looks like we might have somebody on the line here, um, possibly Glenn. Hopefully it is. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Alex, it's Glenn. How are we doing? Glenn, we made it. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the short story on that one. Um, I didn't see the show created, so I went to go hit it for 630. Looks like it was on 6, and I created a show at 6 when it was probably 602 or 603. Um, but Hey, I'm here. You're here. <laughs> um, kind of like, uh, just a little bit of craziness, but what I've been doing to catch you up is, um, kind of went through that. What we talked about last week, um, doing the top five positional needs. Um, mm-hmm. and I just, I've just kind of ran through them really, really fast. Um, you know, basically the positional needs, I feel that the Jets should, focus in on and clearly there's as you know there's a lot of holes on this team um but i went down with edge 
I comboed secondary with cornerback and safety. And then I said wide receiver, running back, and offensive line. Um, I was at the wide receiver position, um, just kind of talking about um, whomever our quarterback is. Um, I prefaced this with, as of January 26th, I'm assuming Darnold's our quarterback until otherwise. Um, you know, because there's a lot of rumors going around about trades for Watson. And um, now, you know, we just recently heard Matt Stafford's going to be um, – looking to get out of Detroit and some people were entertaining that on Twitter. Um, but I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Glenn. Um, what do you think about um, some of these rumors that have been circulating um, with the jets and, and um, you know, at, the, at this point in time, is it just, you know, smoke? Um, is there any, you know, should we put any hope at all that, that some of these trades might go down for the future or, you know, is Joe Douglas the type of guy that's going to uh, focus in on the draft and, you know, use that haul of picks that he traded Jamal Adams for and build this team the right way? Well, I think it's a good question because everyone is assuming that the Jets will sort of make this full court press to get uh, to get Watson if he becomes available, which it, it looks like he will. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not 100% sold on that even. I think – I think if the Texans hire a guy that he want, you know, everyone's saying he wanted the enemy. So if you hire the enemy and you have the enemy, and I tweeted this earlier, you have the enemy be the one who makes that call to call Deshaun Watson and say, hey, it's me, it's EB, I got the job, you're my guy. Maybe even how's another 20 mil on your contract sound? You know, give him some money, give him the coach he wants. I mean, if you're the Texans, you have to do what it takes. To, to, to get him to chill out a little bit and stay. Now, if, if he definitely wants to go, that's fine. But if you're the Jets, it would be funny because, you know, I mean, I understand the reasoning why you would go for a Deshaun Watson via trade. Um, but Robert Sala, you know, commented and, and said, you know, in this league there are no shortcuts. Well, it'd be funny if they started his tenure by saying, hey, we got a shortcut to a quarterback, we're going to give up some picks. And that's that's where the argument begins is what is his value? Because it's completely valid to say no player of his stature has ever become available via trade in the history of the NFL. You can't find me a 25-year-old, 26-year-old quarterback just entering his prime who is arguably, excuse me, arguably a top five, top six quarterback in the NFL who is available, for, you know, to have it through trade. It just doesn't happen. You know, yes, we've seen superstars traded, but that's normally at the back end of their career or even as the, even when they're playing at a high level, but they're about to, you know, you know they're about to start heading downhill, not just as they're entering their prime at, and a quarterback no less. So the Jets should absolutely do what they can to get him. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure you saw that, that tweet the other day that said the Jets should be prepared and I don't know, this is a Houston Chronicle writer um, who I actually like quite a bit, and his name I can't remember because um, I just woke up 15 minutes ago. Um, Jack something, I believe. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. But he said the Jets should be prepared to part with their, with their first-round picks, second-round picks, and Quinnen Williams as a starting point. Now, some mm-hmm, people seem mm-hmm. to take that as the Jets' original picks, as in pick two, but not pick 23 this year. 
I, I, didn't, I didn't interpret it that way. I interpreted it as the Jets' picks. He didn't say the Jets' original picks. Like, every pick the Jets have right now is their pick, regardless of where it came from. So when you say we need both, you know, or we need all of the Jets' picks in round one and two, to me that doesn't mean pick number two and pick number 34. To me that means pick number two, pick number three, pick 34, and then the three next year. So to me that's four first-round picks, two second-round picks, and, oh, by the way, he said, and Quinn Williams, and he said that's the starting point. Like, that's wow. where you open negotiations. That No, Yikes. I'm not doing that. I'm not giving that up for a guy who is demanding a trade. Like, you're only trading him because you have to. So to me, right. from the Jets, my counter is, listen, we'll give you three ones, um, and that's it. You can, you can take three ones, maybe maybe a player, but certainly not Quinn and Williams. You can have three first-round picks. We'll throw in Sam Donald if you like him enough. And that's where I'm drawing the line. Um, and if, if they want four, five, six first-rounders. And, you know, the other thing is that people aren't talking about nearly enough. It actually it wasn't getting any traction, but in the last few days I've seen a few people mention it. And it was something that really started bothering me, Alex, is that people talk about first-round picks as if they're all equal. Like, oh, just give them a couple first rounders. Yeah. Listen, when yeah. one of them is number two overall, which can easily be flipped for additional first rounders, and and you want Quinn, to me, you give up that deal that the you know the the writer mentioned. You're talking about four firsts, two seconds, one of those firsts that can be flipped to add another first, and Quinn and Williams, who is, if you were to trade him today, you might be able to get multiple firsts. So you're getting into sort of like seven first-round pick territory, and that's just absurd. So try to get the guy, and if you can't, it kind of sucks, but it's also kind of cool for those of us who want to see the team built organically, uh, who want to see Joe Douglas. You know, this for Joe Douglas, too, he's got to look at it as, this is my moment to shine. When When will I, again, have this many premium picks this early on to, to, to build a team with? Whereas, you know, these six first round or these six premium picks, if he finds four starting players in that out of those six, I mean, of course it depends on how good a player they are. But if you find four quality starters and two of them are sort of high level starters, I think four starters with two sort of Pro Bowl level type guys, you could argue is better than the one quarterback. Um no matter how good the quarterback is. And, and the problem, the other problem I have, Alex, I, I'm not going to lie and say I've, I've watched a lot of Deshaun Watson this year. But when I've watched him in the past, I felt like he, I felt like he had too long of a windup. I felt like, you know, he, he was imperfect, but, but most quarterbacks are. No quarterback's perfect. I'd be happy to have the guy. But how much of, you know, I, I see these eye-popping numbers he put up, and I'm, I'm asking this honestly because I don't know, and I would have to go back and watch to see. But how much of this was a result of playing for an atrocious team where defense is probably just backing off and letting you throw the ball late in the game every single week because you were just that bad? So, and you know, I I only looked up the numbers very briefly. I'm not saying this means anything. I'm not saying Deshaun Watson sucks or he's terrible or whatever. But I I looked at his numbers for – I looked at his splits for when he's leading, when he's behind, when it's a tie, and – I want to say he's thrown 65 touchdowns 
and 16 in his first career, obviously, 65 touchdowns and 16 picks while, he's, while his team is losing, which they do a lot of. So that's where he really feasts on defenses when his team is down. When, when, it's, when it's tied or he's ahead, his TD to INT ratio is like 2 to 1. Nothing amazing. Like there was nothing about the stats that you look at and say, wow, when this guy has his, you know, when this guy's got, his, got a lead, he puts his foot on the, the other team's throat and really lights it up. No, it looks like he, he throws a much, higher rate, uh, a much higher percentage of interceptions, you know, when teams are pro- probably trying to slow him down to get back into a game or to hold a small lead. So, again, I, this is something I just, it was a thought that just hit me yesterday. So I looked at the splits real yeah. quick and I said, and I'm, sure, and I'm sure you would find that with most quarterbacks because most quarterbacks, again, well, defenses back off when you're playing from behind, one. you know. In 2019, Jameis Winston led the league in passing yards, and now he right. he's, he held a, a clipboard all 2020 behind Drew Brees. So it's just like sometimes the stats don't always tell the whole story. Um, so right, I absolutely exactly. agree with that, with that point because Winston now doesn't have a starting job. Yeah, exactly. So so, so this is one of those things where, and as a matter of fact, what I'm going to do, I know I just gave you his uh, his career. I know it was uh, 65 to 16. Uh, touchdowns to INTs, but this was sort of his 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 big year, you know, the, his his best season. So uh, I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna take a look real quick here. Okay, so again, not not terrible, but while tied, or, while, while now granted he didn't have the lead very often with the Texans this year, but when playing with the lead or in a tie game, seven touchdowns, four interceptions. Playing from behind, 26 touchdowns, three interceptions. So, wow. how much of that? Again, how you know how many blowout losses were there for Houston? There, I'm, I'm asking these things out loud, honestly, because I don't know. I'm, I'm and I'm I'm probably going to spend the next day and and digging a little deeper. In well, exactly, Hopkins, exactly. Which definitely helps too. And we don't have a D hop. Yeah, and, and like I said, this isn't to say I don't want to show. Like I'm literally saying, give right. up three first rounders for the guy all day. Um, right. But when you start getting into four, five, six first rounders, I'm going to want to see you know, some really high-level production um, at, you know, when you're down, when you're trying to come back in a game. Uh, and it, it, it looks like that's not there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig a little deeper on Sean Watson this week. So I'm not, like I said, I'm not, I'm not saying they shouldn't go after him. They should. But if they don't, then, uh, you know, the, the, the other thing you, you mentioned, the needs, right? Where, how do you prioritize the right. needs? Um, and I'm all about um, – I'm all about, especially after years of, of you know, supporting GMs who did the opposite. Like, even though I knew deep down that you need to use your premium picks on premium positions, we've had years of GMs who didn't do that. Um, and that, that's mm-hmm. where my head is. Mm-hmm. My head is, build, get the tackles. I, I, draft tackles who project, you know, who have the skill set to play guard if you want to, you know. Right. Um, by all means, draft, draft some guards. There's some good ones in this class. But if you feel like you can get a guy who, who's a college tackle who might be able to play some tackle in the NFL, but you love his chances to play guard, draft that guy. So you got some versatility. Um, especially, listen, we all love the year Mekhi Becton had, but that guy left the field way too many times for me to be 100% comfortable with him moving forward. Um, Nobody maybe this guy was so much fun time. to watch. Yeah, because we're, we're all so caught up. And the fact that he's a mountain who throws other grown men around the field when he's healthy. And that's like, that's how dare anyone say, but wait a second, 
But that's what I'm saying. Wait a second. Not I'm not saying he's not your starter. I'm saying I don't feel comfortable going into next year with Connor McDermott as the backup left tackle. Um, this is where somebody like Penny Sewell or Slater or anyone, you know, any one of that sort of first three, four picks, I say grab a tackle um, who can play tackle or, or who can play left or right tackle and, and just have that option. Um, but, yeah, I'm, if I'm the Jets, I'm going corner, edge, tackle, um, and wide receiver. I don't love receivers early, but if one falls, like if, if there's a guy who's projected – to go in the top five or the top eight and you see him sitting there at 21, 22, that's when you ask yourself, like, but we got to grab this guy, like, just based on value. Um, so mm-hmm. I would have no problem with that. I'm, I'm still – I will never not be mad about not taking more receivers last year. Um, if they would have drafted two oh, or three God, receivers yeah. last year, they would be in a much better position right now. Um, but, you know, James Morgan and LaMichael P. Ryan, you know, that didn't happen. So, right. but, yeah, if I'm the Jets going into this class – I'm looking at I'm looking at the O line. I'm looking at the edge. I'm looking at corner. And the problem, though, Alex, and you know, this is, we'll talk about this in in some later shows. Um, the number of people, and I think I brought this up last year. I keep seeing people, you know, getting angry at the thought of signing big ticket free agents. Build through the draft. Build through the draft. Build through the draft. And I just keep saying, listen, they you could make the case for this team needing 35 to 40 new players or at like upgraded players. Now, you're not going to do that in one off season. You're not going to go into next year and only have 12 of the same guys you had last year. That's just not happening. But right. you've also only got nine draft picks. Even if you wheel and deal and make a bunch of trades, and let's say you end up, let's say Joe Douglas leaves the draft with 15 picks, you, you still need more. So you've, and you've got $100 million in cap space. So all this resistance, I shouldn't say all this, but for the few people that are sort of resistant to the thought of signing free agents, that's crazy. Like, get some guys signed, and, and you know, my, my feeling is, and I, I tweeted this out, you know, a couple days ago or today, um, but if you go out and you sign Thune, and I get that Beckton is a question mark, but bet in terms of health, Beckton, Thune, McGovern's fine. McGovern played better as the year went on. Um GVR did the same at right guard. He actually was playing fairly well for a six or seven game stretch before he got dinged up. But between him and and Cam Clark, and you draft another kid to compete at right guard, and then Fant, who wasn't great, but he's good enough at right tackle. Like like you're not going to go out and get 35 players, and you're certainly not going to go out and get seven or eight or nine all pros. Like you're going to have to live with the fact that some of your players are just good players and not great. And I say that all the time. Because fans get so kettled, mm-hmm. get so caught up in, like, this guy isn't awesome. We need an upgrade. Well, listen, you're not going to have 53 awesome guys. But but if you mm-hmm. got if you have Beckton and then Sheriff Orthuni, McGovern, GVR, rookie Cam Clark, and Fant up front, that's not bad. That's 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 yeah, plenty good. With that. Yeah, and the question becomes, who's your quarterback? And and listen, Alex, I I, I said it a couple yeah. weeks ago. I'll say it again, and anyone who says that I'm I'm not flip-flopping on Sam Darnold. I did say weeks ago and wrote an article saying the Jets must trade Sam Darnold. Um, or, you, you, know, you know, they must move on from him. But that's me just looking at the sort of the practicalities of it. Like, look, he's got one, one, cheap, de- he's got one cheap year left on his deal. If he doesn't improve dramatically, he's still only a middle-of-the-road quarterback, and he could play well enough to get you out of 
contention to get a top pick, um, and then you're kind of screwed. But if the new regime likes him enough, if they come in and say, we can win with this kid, and if ownership signs off on it, and that, to me that's a key component. Joe Douglas probably doesn't want to miss out on one of the top quarterbacks in this draft to go with Darnold if it means down the road it's going to be held against him. I, I mean, I don't know how contentious these face-to-face meetings get, if contentious at all. I mean, I'm sure they do at times. But I would like nothing more than for Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, to sit down, and, you know, LaFleur as well, to sit down with ownership. Obviously, it would be Woody Johnson now, not Chris, but Chris would be in the room, I'm sure. And say, listen, guys, yeah. especially since none of them had, had a hand in it, they could say, listen, you drafted a highly rated quarterback, and then you followed that up by, by signing the single worst head coach you possibly could have signed to develop a quarterback. So because of, the, because of the decisions you made before we got here, we still don't know if this kid can play. We would be happy to bring him back for one more year and take a look, and if not, we'll move on. But if we keep this kid around and he bombs, you're not going to look at us and say, what did you do? Because you're the ones that did this. Because, you know, it's not just us on this show, Alex. Anyone who pays attention to this team, anyone who has seen what's happened with Sam Darnold has talked about his regression. Um, and it's, it's a very real thing. And um, I think ownership, if ownership is willing to, no pun intended, take ownership of their failures, I think maybe we do see Sam Darnold back. And there's a part of me that would love that. I would love to see Darnold better weapons, better protection, better coaching, and see him thrive. Because I think he's a good kid, and I've liked him since day one. But the number of mistakes I've Open seen Open up him, our options, man. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the other big part of it. If you decide we're sticking with Sam, guess what? Now you can trade that second pick for multiple ones if you want, instead of letting Houston do that. You know, you can come out of this draft with, with you know, seven, eight, nine picks in the top 100. Because you already got, what, six in the top 100? You, you, you trade mm-hmm. back once or twice with that second pick. Maybe you trade down from two to four. You know, that, that, that's the number I keep, the team I keep looking at. I keep looking at Atlanta because Matt Ryan's getting old and Justin Fields is an Atlanta kid or a Georgia kid. I don't know if he's from Atlanta. Like, are the Falcons looking at that thinking, we can get a hot-shot young quarterback who's from Georgia. Let's move up two spots to the Jets. So the Jets move from two to four. And then if you could do one more, maybe somebody seven, eight, nine, maybe maybe the Panthers want to move up and get a tackle. Then you trade down one more time, and then you're set for the rest of the draft. You're sitting there with 13, 14, 15 picks, uh, and you're probably looking at eight, nine picks in the top hundred, and you go to battle with that. It, that to me would be, especially if Joe Douglas, you know, is the goods. You can't ask for more than that for building a team moving forward. Yeah, and, you know, I agree with a lot of your points here. And, you know, when I look at certain things, like when I was talking about the offensive line before you came on, you know, I'm content with three out of the five pieces that we have. I don't feel like we need to do a complete, you know, rebuild at the offensive line. Right, Um, right. Uh, and Glenn, you know, one rookie we'll, to just, we'll talk right through uh, blog talks messages there because we can continue to, to keep rolling here. Um, so, you know, we got three out of five decent pieces here. Like you said, two names that I hope that the Jets get one of, Brandon Treff or, or Joe Thune. Um, You know, we had opportunities last year, but those teams, they put tags on them or they got, they got locked up. 
So, you know, we really weren't able to get after them um, in the manner that we wanted. And, you know, we, we thought we had some decent pieces. We, we thought that we could, you know, boost the GVR. We thought that, you know, Alex Lewis might grow into, you know, something that he wasn't. And, you know, we took a gamble on Fan, and he wasn't horrific. You know, he played well when healthy. And, you know, he wasn't in and out of the lineup often, but there were times in which he had to leave for, you know, a series or two here and there. And we really saw how bad our depth was with McDermott and Adoga. I mean, I remember Josh Andrews having to play a little tackle at one point, and that was when life was really, really bad for this team. Um, Yeah. So, yes, building depth at the trenches is absolutely important, and that's why I have the offensive line built into our – into my top five priority list here because regardless of who the quarterback is going to be, um, you know, if we continue to see some of the problems that we've had on, you know – on the uh, at the front and having our quarterback, you know, eating dirt all the time, you know, we're clearly not going to be able to get anywhere anytime soon um, if that continues in that manner. So, you know, um, you know, prioritizing and, you know, a big ticket uh, free agent, I think is absolutely crucial. And then continuing to build, you know, in the draft for depth pieces so that, when that big ticket contract expires in two or three years or whatever the deal is, you might have somebody that you groomed, you know, like a Cam Clark or, you know, a rookie from this potential draft that could step right in and, you know, you don't skip a beat. So, you know, that should absolutely be part of the plans here because if you look at a lot of the successful teams that are playing, you know, last Sunday, they don't have issues up front at the offensive line. They don't have issues at the edge positions. Um, You know, they have weapons on offense that are, you know, explosive and can flip the field at any point in time. And, um, you know, I I went back and I keep thinking about McCole Hardman um, and how discouraged he was after he fumbled. And then he went and made that great, you know, play for 51 yards. Kansas City's offense was, you know, rolling and firing from all back in, and cylinders on all cylinders. And, you know, that's what the Jets kind of need to do. If you want to template a team in today's NFL, try to be the Kansas City Chiefs is how I look at it. Clearly, you know, Mahomes is, is the catalyst there. But try to find the next, you know, Tyreek Hill. Um, let's see if we can get a young rookie running back that is comparable to, you know, a Clyde Edward Hilaire. Um, you know, clearly there's not a lot of Travis Kelsey's in the world. So, you know, everybody would try to get one if they could. But, you know, if we can improve even at the tight end position, um, anything that, you know, we feel that will give us more firepower offensively, I think that that's kind of what the Jets need to do this year. Um, because in a year that the offense was breaking all and shattering all records for points scored and everything like that, I mean, it clearly tells you that it's not as much as a defensive league as it used to be. And that's no discredit to, to some of these athletes because they are fine, you know, athletes. They're specimens and they're, they're freaks of nature. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it really comes down to in those last final minutes, you know, which receiver is going to create that separation, you know, which running back is going to get that key block that gives their quarterback extra time. And, you know, can your, you know, play caller um, dial up the right 
um, play in that, that moment to get your quarterback to, to succeed. Clearly there's a lot of other factors in here, but I think, you know, looking at what they have, you know, if you're building a house, that's a good model to, to template and try to follow. It's how I feel. And, you know, let's leave the old narratives of the past. You know, um, we, we were a 32nd ranked offense. And, you know, we talked about it earlier today about, um, you know, taking a running back with a premium pick. And um, I know that you're not crazy about that idea, but I look at it and say, why not? You know, why don't we deserve a dynamic player um, that takes an average offense and makes them look great? Or if we do end up building a great offense, imagine what a young, talented 22, 23-year-old running back could be, you know, in a new offense with uh, – I'm sorry, I'm probably through Mike LaFleur. Is that our our new offensive coordinator? I know there's Mike and Matt. LaFleur, yeah. Forgive me, folks. So I know we got a LaFleur, but – um, that's what I kind of hope and, 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 and I'm, I kind of want the Jets to do is I want to see this team, you know, not coming off the field, you know, three and out punt, three and out punt, three and out punt. I don't want right. to see that anymore. I want to see this team coming out right from the first offensive series and being, you know, dynamic and looking like a team that, you know, is going to be a problem. And, Clearly what we saw from last year, um, we weren't giving anybody any problems. And teams were not concerned with what we had um, with our personnel out on the field. And we need to change that. We need to get better weapons to make defenses respect us. Um, well, and that's kind of where you know, my mindset goes with that. Yeah, and, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, as far as, you know, and, and you know, we, we talked offline um, obviously, you, you're not as big on Herndon as, as I am. Um, I'm, you know, like mm-hmm. I said in our conversation, um, mm-hmm. a guy having a, a, a bad stretch of six, seven, eight games after what I saw from him as a rookie, after what you know, watching him in college, watching him as a rookie, like I believe the guy can play. I believe we saw that in the second half of the year. Um, but the fact that Adam Gay still just chose to make him a blocking tight end and he only saw one or two targets a game <clears> – <throat> I'm not going to allow Adam Gase's coaching to have me give up on what I've seen from Chris Herndon. Um, I still think he can yeah. be a really good player. Um, who was it? Someone was it? Uh, someone tweeted out the other day too, you know, kind of listing him as a guy. But as far as the running backs go, um, you know, we, we see year in year out guys that aren't first round picks end up being the best backs in the league. Um, I looked up the numbers the other day, and you know, if you can use a second, third, fourth, fifth rounder. Um, only eight running backs ran for a thousand yards last year, and only one of them was a first-round pick. Um, you know, out in Oakland, Jacobs. Um, but Derrick Henry's a second rounder. Dalvin Cook's a second rounder. Uh, Jonathan Taylor in Indy's a second rounder. Jones yep. out of Green Bay is a fifth rounder. The, the the Jaguars had an undrafted free agent this year run for a thousand yards. Montgomery in Chicago's a third rounder. Nick Chubb's a second rounder. So the guys putting up the biggest numbers right now at running back, only you know the only guys to rush for a thousand yards this year, uh, only one of them's a first round pick. So I, I like the idea of of you know as I've said, give me those premium positions early on. Um, but if you are going to take a running back, like I, I was not a huge fan of uh, Travis Etienne early on because the, the few games I watched it was so run heavy. But in going back and watching, you know, finding a few other games. 
he had some games, you know, especially later on where he started lining up at wide receiver uh, and not just as a gimmick, like catching balls down the field, down the sideline, beating beating DBs. And I'm like, okay, um, it looks like this guy's game evolved a little bit, and he started playing wide receiver a little more. Um, you heard me say mention Kenneth Gainwell a million times uh, on Twitter and when we've talked. Um, like I, he's mm-hmm. probably going to have the guy going to the Jets in every mock I do because I just <clears throat> right. I love the guy's <laughs> game. I feel like he is an explosive player. You watch the way he was used in college. He lined up, you know, he was he was he, they had him at halfback. They had him taking direct snaps from the quarterback, wildcat lining up wide left or you know on, on the left and the right on the inside and the outside slot boundary wherever. Uh, there was one game. If you go back and watch, and again, I understand level of competition. I get it. But I think it was the two-lane game where he had like 270 yards receiving or something like that, most of it coming at the wide receiver position. And, uh, and, the, and the, the broadcaster said at one point that, uh, you know, that Memphis head coach said, that if we move this guy to wide receiver, he'd be our best wide receiver. He, he just happens to be our running back. Um, and I think a guy like that, you probably would have to use a second or third rounder on him, which I hate. But I feel like you can justify. I don't want a guy who only does one thing, uh, being that pick. You know that. Now, does that mean that if Najee Harris was a Jet, I wouldn't be happy? Like, of course, the guy, the right. guy has the ability to be a great player. Absolutely. Right. Um, you know, there, I said that several times last year with guys. You know, with like C.D. Lamb. Like, I was one hundred percent convinced. I said it. You know, a million times over. Said if you think the Jets are taking a receiver, you're crazy. They got to build, you know, mm-hmm. they got to build the O line. By the time they're picking in the second round, there's not going to be a starting O lineman on the board, but there's going to be 50 starting receivers. But yeah, if they get CD Lamb, I'm not going to cry about it. I'm not going to be upset if it's Jerry right. Judy. Um, but but right. that that brings me to something, Alex. Um, real quick, the Senior Bowl God is this weekend. <laughs> well, it, well, yeah. that's what I was going to say. I I mean, and again, that's a matter of. Yeah. Is that the is that the, the the coaching and the offense or what? Because I said last year, um, and I, I I might look up the tweet. I got killed for it. I said before the draft, um, there's a chance Henry Ruggs goes before Jerry Judy. Oh, you're an idiot! Judy's off the board ten right. picks before Ruggs. You're a moron! <laughs> Shut up! Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, listen, I'm just telling you what, what I happened. watch him play. The guy runs a complete route tree, and he's a sub four four forty. Like that guy is something they love else. Speed. Um, <laughs> they love speed that? in this league. No, it's just yeah. It's something I learned. And, you know, is that speed matters to these scouts and these GMs for whatever reason. They'll choose speed over like a possession wide receiver that doesn't drop ball. They'll go for the burner instead. Which I'll be honest with you, I'll take the guy with short hands. Um, that can run a good crisp route and create separation with it, you know, good footwork over the speedster. But you know, that's how I would build my team. And you know, what do I know? But um, and that's, you know, clearly, that, that's there's a history show, though, Alex. Speed love, you know, there's a big love for it. Go for it. Yeah, if, I mean, listen, if if you're choosing between two guys, and and you, it, you know, I'm not saying that you pet, you know, that you're sitting there if you're looking at Jerry Judy, and and another guy who's a fifth-round talent, but he's running a four-two-eight. You don't take the four-two-eight guy. Like, if you believe the guy can play, if it's even close in terms of their overall ability, but one guy is always going to be the fastest guy on the field. I understand why you take him, and that's what right. brings me. The reason I'm asking this 
is because I'm looking at this year's draft, and in my mind, and people, you can tell me I'm crazy again. People told me I was crazy last mm-hmm. year. But I'm looking at if I'm the Jets, and if I, let's say I trade down a few spots and I get to a spot where I'm considering a receiver, say we're at seven, six, or seven, and I'm choosing between Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. Mm. Who am I thinking? You just said yeah. it. Everyone's saying it. Look, look at what these game-breaking speedsters do in places like Kansas yeah. City. Look at what these guys do for a quarterback. And I want now Jalen yeah. Waddle. Of course, there have been some injury concerns. But I look at Jalen yeah. Waddle, and that dude is just pure electricity. He's probably in this class the closest thing you'll see to a guy <clears throat> like me, Call Hardman, who can just just take the ball, make one or two guys miss, and then he's gone. Um, I know yep. Devontae Smith won the Heisman. That's great. Congratulations to him. Um, and it and it listen. It's not as if uh, it's not as if one is is sort of you know head and shoulders above the other. Uh, just clicked on real quick looking at the draft network. They've got them ranked as the number six and seven overall players in this class. So they are close in talent. And if I'm the Jets or if I'm any team, and I'm but but uh, what got me thinking about this though, Alex was with the Senior Bowl here. Um, I know we, we didn't prep for this, so I'm, I'm kind of going off the top of my head. Um, mm-hmm. Is there Are there any players in particular? I saw you tweeting some out today, though. Um, who are you looking forward to watching in the Senior Bowl? Um, and, you know, who, who's kind of – who are the guys that you're like, this is the guy that I want to see against better competition? Um, you know – I'm going to just go with an old line here. You know, I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs when it comes to these offensive, you know, players. Um, you mentioned one of them, uh, actually two of them that, that I really, really liked. Um, you know, Najee Harris, I, I'd love to see this guy in Gotham Green next year. I realize that that's probably going to warrant our second first-round pick or possibly, you know, our second rounder. And the reason why, you know, I, I can, you know, that I can, you know, justify that in my head is because we had so many picks this year that it's almost like, it's not like we're reaching. Um, It's not like we're not filling something that is a need. It's not as if, you know, it's a luxury, you know, when you're looking at the depth chart right now and you're looking at Ty Johnson, Josh Adams and LaMichael P Ryan. um, Yeah. That's why I would, wouldn't mind an ETN or Harris. Um, But Devontae Smith, I mean, if we sit at two and Sam Darnold's our guy and I want to get a receiver that's going to save Sam Darnold, I don't think there's any better wide receiver right now. I, I, I'll tell you this, before the 2020 season, you wouldn't have been able to convince me that Jamar Chase wasn't the guy. And then, you know, I knew Devontae Smith was a great player. I thought he would go into the draft last year. But when I heard that he was hanging back, I said, you know what, that's actually really not a bad move for him because – even though this is a great wide receiver class, you know, I looked at him and I was like, this kid runs routes, crisp routes. He doesn't drop the football. He's got deceptive speed and just kind of like freakish ability when he gets up, you know, to when he leaves his, um, the ground and goes up to get the ball. And, you know, people were like, I can't believe a wide receiver, you know, won the Heisman. And then, you know, you look at what he did just in the first half alone of that national championship game. And it was like, well, if he, you were, curious to, to know why now you know because I mean the guy just clearly is the best is one of the best field in, in the league you know in a you know I hate to say it because 
you know, we went through a pandemic this year, so we were shortchanged as far as college football um, is concerned. And, you know, a lot of people are crazy about Waddle. I was more crazy about the freshman year version of Waddle than I was of this previous year, but I realized pandemic, shorter games, you know, a lot of variables here. And plus when you have all those weapons on Alabama, um, you know, hard, a lot of mouths to feed more or less is what I'm trying to say. And, um, you know, that's no discredit to Waddle because he, he's absolutely first round talent. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I haven't put together my list. Um, I, you know, I, I clearly for, forgot that this was the week that it all started. You know, I, I thought we had another week before they, they got into this stuff. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, the off season is here. This is kind of, you know, what I said in the top of the show, I said, this is senior bowl week and, you know, this is kind of where it all starts. And this gives the scouts the opportunity to, um, you know, see these players, these seniors, you know, firsthand up close and personal and, kind of get a feel for, you know, just kind of the personality and are they coachable, you know, how do they handle, you know, the uh, the process when the, when the cameras are on them and all that good stuff. And, you know, this is a great week for players that maybe a lot of people don't know about. And, you know, they have successful practices or they have good weeks and then these guys get written about and next thing you know, they go from, day three picks into day two to possibly day one. Um, so, you know, this is a huge week as far as the draft is concerned and as far as the off-season process. Yeah, it, it is. And it's, you know, I'll, I'll run through a list here. Um, just just scrolling through the rosters, the names that jump out at me. Oh, I've been watching, you know, a fair bit Demetri of film. Felton, that, oh. I should have mentioned that. That was the guy I'll be looking forward to. And go Who's ahead that? with your list. Demetric Felton, he's one okay. of those hybrid returners, running back, wide receivers. Right. Um, you know, and just kind of like, a, I, you know, I hate to say gadget because that kind of, I don't know what kind of label that, that gives the, the listeners. Right. I know what you mean. Oh, just a gadget guy, but he does it all. Um, but go for it. Go yeah, on. I was going to say, it, it, it doesn't have to be just a gadget guy. You, you can be a gadget guy who impacts games in a huge way. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I get what you're saying. But for me, you know, a couple of names that jump out because they didn't, you know, we didn't see them this year because of the opt-out with COVID and all that. Uh, one of my favorite guys in the class, Sage Surratt, wide receiver out of Wake Forest. He's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nico Collins out of Michigan. He's another guy who's going to be there who I'd like to see more of. Big-bodied guy who you might be able to get in the middle rounds. Uh, Kenny Yaboa from Ole Miss was a guy I wasn't very familiar with. Just a few days ago, his name popped up. Well, actually, I saw him making a couple of plays while I was watching somebody else. So then I watched a couple of their games, a couple of Ole Miss games. He was really impressive. Uh, can stretch the field. You can probably line him up out, you know, in the slot or in line. You know, one of these, again, these sort of modern-day, more athletic uh, than anything, some of these tight ends. And I think Yabo is a guy to watch. Michael Carter out of North Carolina, the running back. Um, I think, I think you know, they, they have a, some impressive backs there. And, uh in North Carolina this year. So he's another guy to watch, probably go a little bit later than I thought initially. Um, who else? Patrick Jones out of Pitt, a defensive lineman. I think he's a guy that uh, the, the the scouting report that I read, I can't even remember which site it was on. Then I went and watched him. It just didn't match the scouting report. You know, he had some production off the edge, getting to the quarterback. But to me, he looked a, a half a step too slow to really be a factor. Um, at the pro level, so I want to see him here. 
Um, and what I tweeted, I asked about this earlier. Um, Hamilcar Rashad out of Oregon State, linebacker, edge rusher, he had a huge year last year. I want to say he had 14 sacks in 2019. Um, and coming into 2020, people kind of said, oh, this is a guy who's going to be a, a first-round type talent if he, you know, if he duplicates that and gets another 14, 15 sacks. He didn't get one sack this year. And I'm like, I, I mean, was he injured? I, from what I gather, he wasn't. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how a guy goes. And, you know, someone tweeted to me today, oh, he's getting double teamed. Listen, guys, first-round talents, first-round edge rushers coming out of college, they beat double teams. It's that simple. You don't go without a sack uh, for, you know, seven, eight, nine, even in a shortened season. I'm not sure how many games Oregon State played, but even if it was shortened, they played enough games, the guy's got to get to the quarterback. So if he, comes to, if he shows up at the Senior Bowl and lights it up and looks like the guy who had 14 sacks two years ago, I think he kind of – could force himself up into the, the conversation as a first-rounder because edge rushers, with that type of production, they go. Um, Garrett Wallow, um, inside linebacker from TCU, guy had a million tackles, watched him the other day. The only, the only concern, he's a little bit undersized, but a lot of these, you know, these, these quicker linebackers in today's game are a little bit, a little bit undersized. Uh, but in terms of just getting to the ball carrier, getting through the trash, evading blockers, he does a really good job of. Uh, when bigger guys do get their hands on him, though, he has a he has a, a tough time breaking free, um, as you would expect for you know, for a smaller guy. Um, but there was another linebacker I watched, and he's I think TDN had him as like in the two fifties or like he, they may even have him down as an undrafted um, type of prospect. But keep an eye on him, Alex. If if you, if I don't know how much playing time he'll get, but keep an eye on <clears throat> on Northwestern's Patty Fisher. Um, I watched him, and again, another guy just did a really good job of of getting through the trash and getting to the ball carrier. Um, another guy with a ton of tackles, and uh, you know, a little bit stiff in the hips, but but really, uh, I'm looking at the Jet situation at inside linebacker, and it's not all that rosy. Um, I've brought up the point mm-hmm. we don't know what to expect from Mosley, uh, Cashman. Mm-hmm. I think anyone counting on Cashman is out of their minds. He can't stay healthy. Uh, Neville Hewitt, nice player, but not really that, that big-time game-changer. Um, not that I'm saying either of those two guys can be, but I think inside linebacker is a spot the Jets could look at in the draft, and there, for whatever reason, there don't seem to be a lot of people talking about that. And I get it. It's not a sexy position, um, but it still could be one of need. And, and a side note on that, Alex, I looked the other day, <clears throat> I'm sure we've talked about the massive cap hit the Jets would endure if they were to try to release C.J. Mosley. Um, but according to OverTheCap.com, yeah. if they were to trade him, the cap it is something like $6 million, which when you're sitting that's on $100 reasonable. million in cap space, what's that? No, that's reasonable. Yeah, I, I don't know if that was accurate. I know OTC does a good job, but there have been a couple times in the past where they're, they're not 100% right. But if that's the case hmm. – but the thing is, what can you get for a guy who hasn't played in two years? He's 29 years old. Um, yeah. But the other, I'm just going to mention one or two other guys, Alex. I don't want to take an hour to do this. Um, Carlos Basham, uh, defensive line edge guy out of Wake Forest. <laughs> I know he was one of the first guys I watched this year. Came away super impressed. And uh, the early, early mocks I saw had him as a first-rounder. Um, haven't seen him in that conversation since then. But if you can get him in round two or three, Carlos Basham Jr., no relation to Terrell Basham. I really like that possibility. 
And uh, Quincy Roche out of uh, Miami, a small edge guy, but productive edge guy. So I'd like to see uh, like to see more of him. And I'll just leave it at that. There are a few others, but we don't need to do an entire, uh, you know, 25 minutes on, on guys we'll be watching in the Senior yeah, Bowl. But I'm, I'm excited for it. Next week. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, we can recap, you know, after the week goes through and they get their game in, you know, we'll have, you know, some more more details to talk about with, you know, certain players that, you know, um, you know, went up the ladder and some guys, you know, apparently might go down a few pegs, um, which is great, you know, because this is, this is all we got for this off season is, you know, who are we going to get, you know, who's the right fit, um, who should we target and look at, you know, all that good stuff, um, you know, and it all starts with the senior bowl. And that's that's the thing is finding the balance here. And you know, the last couple of years, I've, we've tried not to go draft crazy. You know, the second the season ends, because it gets old. By you know, when you start getting oh, yeah. like three weeks out from the draft, I it's like I don't even care anymore. Just get the damn thing. It's like studying for Just a test here. for you know for four <laughs> months. You know, you can only right. do so much before you're like, all right, let's let's do this. Um, so yeah, it's uh, but but you're right. You know, this is this is the the one big shot they'll have. Um, and speaking of big, any thoughts on Deontay Brown, the guard out of Alabama who Ooh. weighed in as being one pound heavier than Mackay Beckton today? Unbelievable. Um, <clears throat> it, it's it's crazy to to think that you know somebody with a, as big as a as a, a dad belly as Deontay Brown can can do the things that he does. I mean. Um, I think he's been referred to as the human bulldozer, <laughs> which is absolutely mm-hmm. spot on and perfect for him. Um, yeah. You know, he may not look like your, you know, typical type of uh, lineman, um, maybe not in, you know, in certain eyes, but Lord almighty. I mean, you want to talk about putting a couple bodies together, you know, that are equivalent to maybe, five or six different people. Good Lord. I mean, that would, that would be one of the largest tandems in the NFL. That'd be, that'd be 720 um, pounds they were, of human on yeah. the left side of the line. <laughs> you know, maybe we wouldn't have to prioritize running back as early as I'm, you know, talking about. Oh my God. If you, if you find a player like that on the offense, you bring line, Curtis Martin back. Yeah. I was about to say, we we'd probably give gold Bilal a call and see if he's got any uh, juice left. Um, you know, I, and I was thinking about that, you know, um, with the three pieces that we have that, that we're content with as uh, Becton, McGovern, and Fant, you know, hypothetically plug in Shreff or Thune as, you know, option A, mm-hmm. and then option B, drafting a Deontay Brown, you know, and I don't care, you know, where you – if you get him at 23 or 34 or whatever, um, I, it's justified in my mind. I mean – that will turn out to be an amazing offensive line as far as I'm concerned from a running aspect, you know, um, we'll see how it would work out passing, but um, I, I yeah. could not foresee that not working out. Yeah. And as much as, uh, I mean, I think you would probably have to move him to guard to be honest, if you drafted him, but any thoughts on Creed Humphrey? I watched the, you know, I was watching a little bit of him during the yeah. year, but watched a couple of his games today, uh, yesterday or the day before. Um I think what hurts him is being a lefty. You just don't see lefty snappers in the NFL, um, which well, sounds weird, but, you know, quarterbacks are funny. And getting the ball from a different angle, different spot, 
um, you, you just don't see it. You know, I think back years ago, a guy who I, you know, uh, I, I, I was a big fan of the old, uh, who's in Minnesota now, but Dakota Dozier, um, he was a lefty. You know, I think, I remember the Jets worked him out at center. Uh, he was listed as the backup at one point, and then when someone got hurt, they didn't bring him in, uh, even though he was listed as a center. And I think that had something to do with it. I think the fact that he was left-handed. Um, and I just, you just, it's almost like like a left-handed catcher. You know what I mean? You just don't see it. Um, right. Now it doesn't mean it won't. It doesn't mean it won't happen with Humphrey. Maybe they will, and they'll be fine with it. But whether it's center or guard, um, I would have no problem bringing Humphrey in. Uh, it's a, a, again with him. It's a matter of where can you get him. You know, I've seen people say he's a late first, early second guy. Um, right. But but again, this is a this is a deep interior line class. At least, I, well, I say deep. There's probably six or seven guys who can probably start. Uh, you know, day one. And Humphrey's one of them. So, uh, have you have you have you watched much of him? Do you, would you feel good about that pick? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and that's what intrigues me about him is that you know, would we you know move him to guard, which I think he could absolutely be fine at. Um, you know, or would we move McGovern, where you know it seems like McGovern improved his play or his quality of play when he moved from guard to center. Um, as far as, you know, PFF ratings and things like that or wherever his statistics are. I believe um, McGovern was playing, I want to say, right guard before he moved to center. I believe um, so. He kind of struggled a little bit there, but then things kind of worked out better for him when he moved to center. Um, this year, you know, I don't think McGovern was bad. I just think that sometimes, you know, who he had next to him um, affected his play. And I don't think McGovern was 100% healthy throughout the whole season. I mean, he was, you know, he didn't miss many um, much time. Um, I know, um, uh, what was the guys that the guy I mentioned him for? Josh Anders had to step in in a pinch here and there. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, McGovern was a guy that was very durable. And you know, would it be um, detrimental for him and and our team by by moving him out of his center position, possibly? Um, or do you bring in Creed Humphrey, let him play guard for a couple of years, and then when McGovern's contract's up, maybe you slide him over and, you know, you, you reboot the guard position. Um, you know, I, I could not see it not being beneficial for this team. Um, I clearly felt that, you know, in certain games, um, it was the interior offensive line that was actually a liability where in years past we were always talking about the tackles. Um, you know, we just can't seem to get so all right, um, you know, which is why we're in the position that we are, you know, being the 31st uh, ranked team in, in the league. Um, but, yeah, you know, Creed Humphrey, you wouldn't get any complaints from me from a player like that. Um, you know, durability, I think, you know, this guy has got some sort of a crazy record for, you know, um, having like, you know, consecutive snaps or, you know, plays or, you know, and, and not being penalized a lot either. Um, so that's what you want. You want durability and you want somebody to play smart football and, you know, doesn't get the flag thrown on them, you know, at least once a game or a couple times a game. Um, so that means that there's, you know, not only do you have the physical traits, but you have the mental aspect to it to where he's playing smart football. So no complaints for me, you know, if the Jets were to prioritize him, you know, late first round or early second. Yeah, and I think 
you know, it's it's going to be interesting in that, you know, we've talked about the the fact that Joe Douglas has that O line background. I just I I, right. I really, you know, and I, I know I'm not alone because Jets fans were all all over Twitter um, about this late in the season. But um, and, you know, as I've said before, I was I was a huge Cam Clark guy before the draft. It just it it aggravates me so much that that guy didn't see the field at all. Um, you know, the final yeah, few weeks yeah, of the season, awesome. he was finally healthy. I really wish, you know, and listen, the the, the 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 one thing about that though, and obviously this would be a bad thing. Maybe he maybe he was just terrible. You know, maybe it didn't make. I mean, we don't know what's going on in practice. <laughs> They might be saying, because, you know, we did we did read, I forget who it was that said Cam Clark did see some reps with the ones, I think, leading up to the Week 16 game or 15. It wasn't Week 17, but one of the last two or three weeks, you know, I remember reading that he was taking snaps with the ones. I thought, oh, great, They're, they'll give him a few series this week. Even if he doesn't start, maybe he plays the fourth quarter. Um, and he, he still never got on the field. I mean, I would, I would imagine yeah. if he looked even competent, that Joe Douglas would have been like, and again, I understand with the, with the reporting structure and all that, but I'm sure Joe Douglas, Chris Johnson, whoever, could have said, listen, play this kid this week. Let's see if we have something here. Um, you know, it's week 17. Give him, you know, give him, let, him, let, <laughs> let, him play the, let him play the fourth quarter of week 16. If he doesn't look like he's going to get anyone killed, start him week 17. Um, so the fact that we didn't see more of him is just is absolutely ridiculous, in my opinion. Um, so that's, you know, that's water under the bridge, as they say, but it would be nice to see, you know, if the guy can play a little bit, you know, I've said the same thing with Ty Johnson, at least Ty Johnson got some reps, but I would have loved to have seen more of him because listen, and you know, we've talked about this and and I've seen others say it, Ty Johnson, his running style is similar to some of the guys they had in San Francisco who were very successful. So are the you know I'm sure the Jets I'm sure Lafleur and 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 Salah would love to have an extra hundred carries or even an extra fifty carries from him last year to watch because listen Ty Johnson he's a sub four four guy or probably maybe four four in college so he's got that speed he's he's one cut hit the hole speedy back who was productive last year behind a not-so-great offensive bet You know, better yard per carry average than anyone else on the roster. So they might look at this kid and say, you know, this guy can be our number two back next year. I'm, I'm really curious to see what they think of Michael P. Ryan in this scheme. He seems like a guy who mm-hmm. doesn't fit in this scheme and who didn't do anything impressive last year. Um, I mean, I don't think you're going to cut a guy that quickly. Besides run outside but, uh, the numbers. Yeah, I, I just I don't see him. Uh, uh, I I I don't even like discussing him because I I was so against the pick, and then for him to come in and not really look that impressive. Um, again, it's year one. We'll see. But uh, I would I wish Ty Johnson had more rest on Bill. What's that? Is you know um, Dylan I think had mentioned it, and you know and and for our listeners, you know we have a little group chat with you know Glenn and I and Dylan. And, um, you know, he was saying I could see them, you know, maybe, you know, cherry picking a couple players from the San Francisco roster. And, you know, there's some names out there that are going to be hitting free agency. And I'm like, oh, I'm getting sick to my stomach here because, you know, I I understand, you know, the whole concept of, you know, not 
um, investing into the running back position and things like that and doing it by committee. And, you know, sometimes it works. And, you know, sometimes you just, you know, you get stuck in a situation to where you do, you try the committee and then one of the guys starts running hot and then you just negate giving the touches to the other guy. So you only work with that one guy. And then you go to use him the next following week because you think that you're, you know, have lightning in the bottle. And then, you know, it ends up his style is not right against that particular team and you should have been using another running back. I just think that it, um, more decision-making from an offensive perspective. Um, I get the dynamic of trying to mask what you're trying to do by mixing up the, the backfield um, to keep the defense, you know, on its toes. I get that too. But, um, you know, I, I just, I'm old school. I miss those days of having like the, the reliable, like Curtis Martins of the world. And it's like, you know, worry less about that position when you know you have something secure. Um, and that, that is kind of one of my, um, I guess my concerns with, uh, you know, transitioning. Cause a lot of people just automatically assume that we're absorbing a Shanahan style defense. Um, and that could be, um, maybe a lot of the concepts from Shanahan's offense come with LaFleur, but perhaps. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure Salah know, said that him. at his presser, you know, that he's, he's okay. That, that, uh, LaFleur has spent so much time with Shanahan that those are the concepts we should expect to see. So, and it only makes know, there sense. It is. I mean, um, I, I doubt he's going to oh, come absolutely. in and install an offense that that isn't very similar to Shanahan. Right. Exactly. You know, you you go from running plays. You know, let's just say, you know, you know, your running play called uh, you know off tackle. You know, crab five. Now you're calling it lobster five or something like that. You know, I can't expect right. it to be a complete. You know, you know, copy and paste. I'm sure Lafleur has got things that you know, he's always wanted to do or implement, but, you know, Kyle's the guy, so he just follows what Kyle wants to do. So I think it's good to that there's a, a there's going to be a system that comes in um, that clearly is going to be better than Adam Gase's, so I'm intrigued by that, of course. Um, you know, I am concerned about how we're going to go about the running back position because I really would like to have somebody solid back there. Um, kind of, I feel like I say that well way too often over the past few years. But I really, really would like that. Um, and, you know, if he has the ability, you know, like you said, to rejuvenate a Chris Herndon, um, you know, I can't expect us to have George Kittle-like stats or numbers because, you know, I, I remember you and I were very high on Kittle going back into the draft where other people just, you know, kind of said, ah, he's just a, a blocking back. He could find those guys anywhere. And he turns out to be, you know, I think the number two tight end in the league. You know, he he was injured this year, so, you know, you can't put him on that ranking. But um, in my opinion, a healthy George Kittle is absolutely number two. And looking at Kelsey's age, I can foresee Kittle being the number one tight end, Um, if not next year, but by 2022. Um, So if that's the kind of things that LaFleur can bring to our offense, um, yeah, let's, uh, you know, maybe I'm a little, uh, you know, I'm not giving up on Herndon. I just kind of feel that, um, I, I'm quite discouraged, I suppose, is a good word to use. Um, you know, just kind of, you know, he, he didn't get targeted heavily, like you said. That's a fact. Um, he wasn't schemed properly, and that's Gase. Um, quarterback play, inconsistent, so that's not his fault either. Um, 
But, you know, if LaFleur has a system that's better suited for someone like him, who was kind of labeled as a guy that wasn't talked about because David Njoku was the guy. And, you know, Herndon was just number two. And he had some injury concerns with his knees, I believe. So you didn't really get to see a lot of Herndon. We didn't really know what to expect. But we were pleasantly surprised after his rookie year. And we've been thriving for that style of play from him. So, you know, hey, if LaFleur has has a concept um, that can get him back to the way he was looking two years ago, um, that's pretty exciting, you know, to, to think about. I mean, yeah, the, the frustrating thing with Herndon is that you look at uh, – it was week 11 against the Chargers where he, again, dropped the first pass that was thrown to him, um, but then made two really nice catches after that. Easily, he's probably his best two plays of the year. And you're thinking, all right, this, this, let's build on this um, and let's get him seven, eight targets next week and see how that works out. And that following week, zero targets. And then the following week, zero targets. And the follow, and I'm like, what, let this guy build. Like, he's one of your better players who's been in a mental funk for the, the entire season. Let's build on right. that. You know, it, it's not like, you know, we're not saying he caught a couple of screen passes, you know, with, with no defenders in the area, just played a little catch. He made a great sort of leaping, falling, you know, contorting himself falling backwards on, on the first catch against the Chargers, and then he makes the, the fingertip grab for the touchdown. Two really good plays. So it's like, great, let's, let's get him involved now, and let's try to get him going. Following week, no targets. Following week, no targets. Following week, one target. You get one target in three weeks after making your, your two best plays of the year, which I get it. It's only two catches. It's not getting him into Canton. But you're talking about the worst team in the NFL with the worst offense in the NFL, who one of their best players is playing terrible and looks like he may have turned it around. And then over the final three weeks of the, week, of the season, he sees a few more targets. He gets four targets the following week, three catches. Four targets the following week, catches all four. Nine targets in the final week of the season, catches seven. So, I mean, the guy, if, if the head coach wasn't a moron, I mean, really, if the head coach wasn't a moron, I said this from early in the year, I don't care how many people got pissed off of me. I don't care that people don't like the idea. When he, when he was dropping passes, I was like, go into a game and throw that dude ten balls. He's not going to drop ten. Even if he drops three, like he needs to catch a few passes to get his head back on straight and start doing his job. But instead, it's three targets, four targets, no targets, no targets. He had one, two, three, four, five. He had five games last year without a single target. He had five targets or more twice before week 17. And, this again, this is with 32nd-ranked mm-hmm. offense. But the fact that late mm. in the year, again, very late in the year, week you know, 15, 16, and 17, he saw 17 targets and caught 14 out of 17. Yeah. And that doesn't mean the others were drops, because I don't, I don't think he had a drop after that. I think that first drop against San Diego or against uh, the Chargers, Los Angeles Chargers, um, week 11, he dropped the first target of that game. I'm sure that was his last drop of the year. Everything else that hit his hands, that got near him, he caught after that. Um, and I think that's the type of player he is. I think that is the real Chris Herndon. Um, right. You know, I, I know I try not to put too much into what these guys do in training camp, but I just remember coming out of training camp his rookie year and seeing the number of – the guy – he was just making ridiculous catches all over the field. I remember during a red zone drill from inside the five, uh, like a, a, diving, a diving grab with one hand. 
And I thought, Jesus Christ, this guy catches everything. And then you saw that as a rookie. He made a lot of great catches as a rookie. And then he gets hurt, and then Adam Gay shows up, and all of a sudden the guy can't catch a cold. And it's like, what the hell is going yeah. on here? I know yeah. from what I've seen w- once he was drafted, watching games that he played in Miami, then watching him up close in camp, then watching him all year as a rookie. Like, I know this guy can catch the football. All of a sudden he can't. Now, it, does that mean he's Chuck Knobloch, who wakes up one day and can't make a throw to first base? And never go, right. and it's never the same. Well, obviously not, because Chris Herndon, Chris Herndon closed out the season, catching everything that came his way. So uh, I'm certainly not going to give up on the guy. I think he can be a great player in this offense. And you know, our you know our conversation earlier. I know you're, you're obviously a bit more concerned about Crowder's injury history. I feel like it's the NFL mm-hmm. over the course of six, seven, eight years. A guy's going to have a year where he misses four or five games. Um, right. And as I said, I think Herndon is or uh, Crowder has only missed more than four games one time. Um, and every other year he's played 15, 16 games. So that doesn't concern me. Uh, now, Mims concerns me more than anyone um, in terms of the receivers yeah. because mm-hmm. he didn't show that he could stay healthy last year. Had some injuries at Baylor. Yep. But Baylor was a, was a broken hand. Um, it's the soft tissue stuff that worries me when you're talking about these speedsters. Um, so they Hand do need more players. Like that. Yeah, yeah they, but they do, they do. Obviously, they need more players. They won two games. But um, to me, I'd be absolutely fine with going with Herndon. And I just, I just, part of my reasoning, Alex, is that, you know, having said earlier, they need so much talent on this. They need so many players. There are so many holes on this roster that anyone who has even played, you know, someone like Herndon, like, worry about him later. Like, attack the positions where you know you need somebody now. And look at Herndon and say, we think he can be the guy. Let's hold off for another year. Let's see what he does this year. I'd be really upset if they wasted a draft pick on a tight end where they could be drafting O-line, corner. Listen, corner? What what do the New York Jets have at corner right now? (laughs) What's that? I said unless his name is Kyle Pitts. Um, that would be my only exception. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't take him at two. But if you if you trade down a few spots, Kyle Pitts sitting there at seven or eight, I, I could live with that. That guy's he's yeah, special. But, you know, I've always thought let's trade with Detroit. They're at seven, if I'm not mistaken. Seven, yeah. Um, I think you could get probably a decent haul. Maybe their second. You know, maybe something for 2022. Um, and you're still in the top <laughs> ten. You know, if Devontae Smith falls or if Kyle Pitts is still there, you know, you're looking to make a, you know, a spark for your offense. You know, like I said, let's try to template, you know, what is the the Kansas City Chiefs. And now, you know, you're looking at a player in Pitts that's being compared to as a ceiling of Travis Kelsey and a floor of Darren Waller, who is the one and two in the league right now at tight end. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this guy pits like he's just like, you know, obviously you, you look at the narratives and you say you can't take a tight end that early. Um, but I don't think he's in the same, like people were infatuated with O.J. Howard because, you know, yeah, you look I like, like Howard. You know, a Greek god and, he blocked like an offensive lineman and he caught like a receiver and he could run routes and he was a mismatch for days. And 
clearly things haven't worked out that great in Tampa for him. Um, you know, he's an afterthought at this point with all those players on that team that they have in Tampa. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that when you look at Howard and you look at Pitt, um, Howard might be more complete as far as a blocker, but he's not as explosive as a Pitt. So, um, anywho, um, you know, that, that would be my only exception um, into, you know, prioritizing uh, a premium pick into the tight end position. But I, I agree with you. Um, you know, what we have in-house I think we should work with. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you know, Griffin Herndon and Wesco are still under contract. So you got three positions right there or three players in that position. Um, so that's definitely one of the lowest priorities on this roster list as far as I'm concerned. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, I think with this coaching staff, we might see Wesco become a full-time fullback. And I have no problem with that either. I think he would be great in yeah. that position because if you look Absolutely. at the way, um, was it Y-check or J-check or whatever the fullback mm-hmm. is out in uh, San Francisco, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the old school football. You know, everybody's, you know, locking up, make sure you got the receivers and the tight end. and We got a, you know, a, a linebacker playing man on the running back. But, yeah, don't worry about the fullback because he's probably going to block and not do anything. And then he's the guy wide open in the end zone that, you know, Garoppolo's just dropping, you know, an, an easy one in the bucket for a score. Um, and teams don't cover the fullback. So, you know, if you have a guy like that that you can use in the red zone and people are not going to account for him, you take advantage of that. And that's what the Jets need to do. They need to take what they have and maximize their potential with their skill positions on offense. And, you know, clearly we didn't do that last year. And Wesco's ability to be a blocker and just, you know, kind of like a bulldozer, we we saw that, you know, he did get injured. We saw that very, very seldom last year until he was forced into the lineup due to injury last year. Then all of a sudden we see more Wesco. And I agree. I think that he's a perfect H-back, fullback, and an inline tight end. And if you use him right, you know, there's definitely a possibility that a Wesco and a Herndon um, end up being the tandem that we've always talked about. And now, the name you mentioned earlier, Alex, and we didn't really get into it uh, before we go. We only have a few minutes left. Um, yeah. The the Matthew Stafford stuff. Um, he yep. and the Lions have agreed to part ways. Um, I look at it and think, and look, I know he's had some injuries, um, but he, you know, he started 16 yeah. games again last year. He's another guy who rarely misses time. And I feel that even at his age, what is he, 32, 33, uh, you look around the league, these elite quarterbacks, um, they're playing into their late 30s nowadays. Like it used to be that if you traded for a quarterback who was 33, you were going to get one or two years out of that guy. Um, Stafford, if they fix this O-line and they go to this sort of quick-hitting offense that, you know, where he's not getting beat up back there, I would not be surprised if he plays until he's 38, 39. We've seen it from Breeze, from Brady, from Rodgers, from Big Ben, Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning. Like, these guys play into their late 30s now. So if you could get Matthew Stafford, and let's say he's going to give you five years. I think I said six or seven, which is probably a little much. Let's say you can get five years out of Matthew Stafford, and you just, all you got to do is, is swap. You, you give
give up pick two. Detroit gives you pick seven and Matthew Stafford. What do you, is that something you're willing to do and, and build around him and say, let's have a four? I mean, I would, I would have ventured to guess that within a year or two, he would break every single individual season record for Jets quarterbacks. Um, would you be okay with that? Would you be okay with let's roll with Stafford for the next four or five years um, and take the fact, you know, Detroit's going to give you that seventh pick. Now, now you've got those four firsts over the next two years, those seconds over the next couple of years, and use those picks to build around Matthew Stafford. Would that be something you would be content with? Um, that, that's appealing to me. When you tell me my options are give up six premium picks for Deshaun Watson or just – a swap of picks for Matthew Stafford. Uh, I'm. I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. it's not a slam dunk. Like I, Watson, obviously the younger player, higher ceiling, capable of doing more. But how much harder is it going to be to build around him if the asking price is, you know, all of your first rounders? Yeah, you know the scenario that you, um, you know, just gave me is way more lucrative than you know, giving up all our future capital uh, for, for Watson. And, um, you know, it's not that he's going to come cheap, um, let's be honest, um, you know, because he's due $33 million, I believe, this upcoming season. Um, but then it's yeah, significant he drops after that. I mean, it's it's really weird. I'm looking at his contract right now. You know, $33 mil this year, $26 million in 2022, and, and $3 million in 2023. Um, yeah, the three Detroit million. I looked at that. That's kind of long. like a a prorated bonus or something. He's only got two years left on the deal, um, but it's got it. considerably okay, it cheaper sense. than Deshaun makes Watson sense. would be once he hits the thirty five, forty million a year price tag. Exactly. And if you're just looking to get somebody that's going to keep this team honest and and you know make this football team more competitive and, and help some of the younger guys uh, grow in the right direction. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'd be silly because, you know, at first I was saying, like, you know, the back injury from last year and the hip concern, you know, those are old man-style injuries. And, you know, um, this guy's had, what, 12, 12 years in the league. But, but you bring up a very good point that, you know, he kind of falls into the, that category, um, you know, with Rivers and, and Breeze and Brady. And, you know, he's getting up in age. Um, you know, he's not 40, um, you know, and he's going to be 33 this year. Um, like you said, um, he's been on a really bad football team. Um, that's, that's, you know, stating the obvious here. But uh, if the compensation and trading swapping picks and we're not giving up, you know, the farm for a guy like that. Um, that's a clear upgrade at the quarterback position as far as I'm concerned. Um, no disrespect to Sam Darnold. Um, we know that uh, things haven't worked out the last three years and mainly because of uh, the game plan that this front office put together for him. Um, you know, he might have some good football left in him, but it, it may not be with this team. Um, and that may be the best thing to do is to try to reboot that position entirely. Um, knowing what to expect from Stafford and then just pondering what could be with a Zach Wilson or a Justin Fields at number two, um, it may be much harder to build a team with a rookie quarterback that has no experience than a guy that has 12 years under his belt like Stafford. 
I'd have to imagine that experience matters for, for a guy like Sala and a guy like LaFleur because, um, you know, I'm going back to what um, the GM Ballard from, from Indianapolis said a few weeks ago. You know, there's drafting a guy and then there's getting the right guy. And sure, we could draft a young quarterback at two and, you know, light our candles and hope and pray that, that everything aligns and works out. But there's, you know, a good probability that it doesn't. And, you know, three, four years, we're in the same conversation talking about quarterback prospects again and rinse and repeat. So maybe skip the, the long process of, you know, will this work out? Will, maybe it will, maybe it won't. And get somebody, get a commodity that you know. You know, better, you know, to go forward with somebody that, you know, we, we know what this guy's level of potential is. Um, we know what he's capable of doing and we can move forward with this offense and implement the new offensive scheme quicker with a Stafford than we could with a rookie who has limitations as far as reading the defense and calling audibles and, you know, understanding the weekly game script and then, you know, putting it all together in a handful of days before Sunday um, could be much more harder to do for this new regime that's coming in than bringing in an experienced guy like Stafford. That might be a better plan um, to get to where this new personnel group of coaches want to be. Um, that might be a better lucrative plan for what they want to do because the growing pains with a rookie quarterback, you know, sometimes things work out and you get a Ben Roethlisberger and you win a Super Bowl within under his rookie contract. And then other times you get a Mitch Trubisky to where you're, you're looking at free agent quarterbacks and how to replace in year three, year four. So, um, you know, that really depends on, you know, how confident these guys are in our front office with what they're going to be trying to do, you know? Yes. And it, and it looks, Alex, we've only got a minute or two left. Uh, yep, it's just yep. popped up. Jared Goff. I don't wow, know if you saw fast, this. Man. <laughs> Um, the uh, their general manager was asked about Jared Goff, and he 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 gave the kiss of death response that Jared Goff is our quarterback right now. Um, so Ooh. perhaps another quarterback. Um, hitting, I, you know what's frustrating, Alex? There are going to be about thirteen quarterbacks available this offseason <laughs> that are better than almost every quarterback the Jets have had for the last twenty years. Um, all of a sudden, the oh, the market goodness. is just flooded with. You know, at least I mean, listen. We had to live through Geno Smith and 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 uh, Mark Sanchez and Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, the good and the bad. Um, you know, the Brooks Bollingers of the world, and uh, and now all of a sudden this year, it looks like there are going to be about fifteen guys, ten, fifteen guys who are better than what the Jets had uh, really when they went to the damn AFC Championship game. Um, wow! So a lot of craziness, Alex. Uh, anything to add before you sign us off? No, man, I think this was a good one. Um, you know, uh, got a lot of good topics out there. And, and when Dylan joins us next week, we can further the discussion on, uh, you know, how are the Jets going to put this this whole thing together and, and become competitive for this year. So definitely excited. And I uh, look forward to uh, linking up with all you guys next week. All right. Take care, Alex. All right, Glenn. And everybody Jet Nation, be well, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. 
Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!